Following the success and critical acclaim of the first three Tone Science compilation albums, Din label boss Ian Body has collated another nine tracks from musicians of varying backgrounds working in the realms of modular synthesis. Tone Science Module Number 4, Form and Function, continues the journey down the rabbit hole of possibilities and sound worlds inhabited by artists and musicians working in this ever-fascinating and varied musical field. Tone Science Module 4, Form and Function, comes out September 18th on the DIN record label on Bandcamp and CD, and features tracks from Panic Girl, Andrew Wong, Lightbath, and me, Tim Held. September 18th. This week's episode is brought to you by Patchworks, our lovely little synth shop here in Seattle. It's, uh, it's really the hub of our, our Seattle modular scene. Um, not only is it a re- retail location, it is also uh, a center for education and live events when those were a thing. And uh, I know what you're thinking, Tim, I don't live in Seattle, so what's this got to do with me? Well, they have a website. P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com for all your modular and non-modular needs. They have non-modular synth stuff. They've got stuff from Arturia. They've got Korg. Um, but back to modules, they got WMD. They got Recovery Effects. They got After Later Audio. They got Make Noise. They got Schlappy Engineering. They have AI Synthesis. They have Mystic Circuits. They have the Dreadbox stuff. They have Dope for Mutable Instruments. I mean... What else could you want? Please head over to P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. That's patchworks.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. My name's Tim Held and I'm super, super excited about this week's episode. This week we have Sam Precop on the show. Um, and Sam is a member of one of my favorite bands that I discovered in grad school uh, called The Sea and Cake. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to get the chance to talk to, to as Mark Marin would say, one of my guys. Um, Sam also makes amazing electronic music on modular synthesizers, and he just released a new album last Friday called Comma on Thrill Jockey Records, and I highly recommend you go check that out. Um, yeah, I was just really, really excited to have this chat, and uh, I'm excited to share it with you, and we are going to get into that in a moment, but first, I want to tell you about this. I'm getting very excited about Synth Booth. It's coming up in about a month. Uh, we just talked to Anna, the mastermind of Synth Booth, a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah, and I'm very much looking forward to it. And as a media partner for Synth Booth, I'm asking you to join us for an interactive online experience where modular synth makers, musicians, and enthusiasts can connect with their community in a safe and accessible setting. Synth Booth is hosted virtually using an app, and it features panel discussions, educational sessions, a keynote, virtual exhibitor booths, uh, community chat rooms, and music performances. Um, Bana Hafar and Annie, the Galaxy Electric, um, Afrorack, so many more. Um, it's going to be super fun. So please head over to synthbooth.com to get your tickets. There's there's a couple different uh, pass pass availabilities, um, and they're all uh, very affordable. Um, And, uh, yeah, you'll get access a week early, and you can – I mean – I'm seriously, if you haven't listened to Anna Zamir's episode a few weeks ago, then go check it out. It took a whole episode to explain the depth of this interactive experience. Um, So yeah, synthbooth.com. (laughs) 
So I got myself a new camera, um, a Micro Four Thirds, Panasonic Lumix GX85. That means something to some of you. It means nothing to probably more of you. Um, it's not my dream camera. It was the best for what I could afford. Um, but I'm having a whole lot of fun shooting video, um, doing weird, uh, weird modular performances. Not weird, but in, in maybe uh, weird places, cool places. Um, and I'm also, yeah, just been going, going out in the woods a lot and uh, going to different parts of the great state of Washington and uh, finding some wildlife. Um, and yeah, I'm working on kind of this greater video project that I keep hinting at that keeps changing. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be going to Yellowstone in a week. When you're listening to this, at the end of this week, I am going to Yellowstone. And there I'm going to uh, try to do at least like three or four modular performances out in the woods. Hopefully with maybe some bison behind me or something. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to share you with you uh, what's going on with me. So as I kind of try to figure out what I'm going to do with this greater video project, I am uploading some of these performances to Patreon. Um, otherwise, they're, they're, they're private on YouTube. Um, so yeah, there's some incentive to join up. And thank you if you are helping out on Patreon. You, you truly are helping to keep this show coming. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as COVID has ravaged our world, my hours have gone down. So it's, it's really, it, it literally, I couldn't do the show without it. Um, so thank you. And if you want to help out, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. I'm hoping for 50 more patrons by the end of the year. Is that lofty? I think so. But you know, you can't do great things if you don't shoot for all the goals that Wayne Gretzky told you to shoot for. Um, I think that is the, the quote. And speaking of Wayne Gretzky, I believe they used to call him the great one. And that's what I call Eric Needham from Needham Woodworks, because he makes the finest Eurorack cases in the land. If you haven't seen the new designs, um, I strongly urge you to go check them out on Instagram or head over to NeedhamWoodworks.com. Um, they're, they're no joke. They're some of the, the finest pieces of craft I've seen. Um, and if you, maybe you're building your own case out of that Samsonite uh, suitcase that you got from the Goodwill and you need some power, well, check out their sister company, Eschatonic Modular. That's what I've got in my, my Needham Woodworks um, case of powering all my modules. I've never had an issue. Clean, quiet power from Eschatonic Modular. So please visit eschatonicmodular.com. We're going to get into a demo here, and then we will start our chat with Sam Precop. So I have already introduced you to the, uh, the tilt and the blend from After Later Audio. Let's talk about the third of their recent releases. This is Steps. Steps is very funky. It's a lot of fun. And I'm just going to basically give you a little rundown of uh, the different uh, you know, pieces, functional blocks, as they call them, of uh, Steps. And then um, I'm going to just kind of jam out on it. I'm going to use nothing but Steps to control my stereo-triggered sampler from, uh, from 4MS. And I'm just going to do a two-module uh, patch. You can hear it kind of droning away behind me. Um, and I'm just going to let it do that as I tell you about these three functional blocks. First up, there's the internal clock, which is, uh, has a rate control knob, which, uh, you know, controls the, 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 uh, the rate of, of the, the internal clock. And then it, it has an output for that as well. Um, 
so you can send that somewhere else. Then there's the burst generator, which uh, has a pulses output, which generates eight pulses on every trigger. It has a gate output, which is high during the burst event, and then an end of burst output, which fires at the end of a burst event. So lots of cool, lots of cool gate trigger action here. Um, and then there's the random looping stepped CV generator. Um, it has a random gate output, which outputs a random gate during a burst event. And then there's the random stepped output or a loop of eight steps. Um, so you can switch between um, random or eight steps. The steps output uh, has an attenu attenuator attenuverter, um, and it is uh, held low while there is no burst event. So, um, you can either use it as a random step CV source or as a repeating eight stepped CV source. So right now I've got it repeating eight stepped CV source and I'm gonna mess with the uh, the attenuator, attenuverter for the, the steps out to uh, then control what sample is playing on the channel one of the, uh, the uh, um, for a mess stereo trigger sampler. So that sounds kind of cool, but you know what it could really use? It could use, really use some delay and reverb. So I'm gonna bring in, I just got the Empress Effects uh, reverb pedal, and it's got so many different modes and options. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but let's use the de delay and reverb section. So let's just kick that on really quick. So stereo in, stereo out. There's a really cool, you can control the time of that delay. All right, so let's let's put that on, and now let's mess with the the output from steps controlling the CV uh, that is controlling the sample. Now let's turn this clock up a little bit. Let's go from eight steps to random now. I'll turn this clock down a little bit. So now I'm gonna get a little bit more variation within this attenuator attenuverter on what sample it's gonna be playing as I mess with that. Because it's not just eight steps looping. down on these samples and see how funky I can get it.
This reverb pedal is so nice. I'm just scratching the surface. I just got it, so we're gonna talk about it uh, a lot more here. I just wanted to throw it in uh, this, uh, this demo. But as you can hear, um, the steps does a lot of stuff. And as you can tell by this patch, it can be kind of a cool little control forge. To be honest, the steps blend and uh, tilt all together. If you kind of put that in the center of your, of your rig, you have a really great um, playable control forge um, that I, I highly recommend. So please go check out afterlateraudio.com to learn more about the steps, the, the tilt, and the, uh, the blend. Three of my favorite new modules. And don't forget to check out Empress Effects. That reverb pedal is, uh, that was just one of the many, many, many modes on it. And we're gonna, we're gonna get to know that better uh, in the weeks to come. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining me. I've been really, really looking forward to this. Excellent. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I'll just get all this out of the way right up top. Uh, this is especially cool for me. I lived in Kalamazoo for grad school in about 2008. Okay. And that was, a, that was about when, uh, you know, CDs were still the thing. And I, I was a poor grad student, so I'd had to buy used CDs. And uh, it was back in the day when you could just go to a CD player in the store and listen to them. Okay. And I, I saw Car Alarm, and it just caught my eye. And I was like, I'll go check that out. And, and now Car Alarm is like one of the like five albums that I listen to, and it whisks me back to that. Like, it makes me feel like I'm back in Kalamazoo. It's like my nostalgia piece. So I just oh, wanted nice. to say thank you for I don't, that I don't album. hear I too much album. about Car Alarm, so it's, I'm glad that you name-checked that. Really? Yeah, I, I just, it's, well, you guys have so many albums, I'm I, sure it's. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so also, like, so I found this, and this was before I was into synthesizers or electronic music at all. Um, and then, you know, as I, I, I like to go down the rabbit hole with stuff. And so I started going down the rabbit hole with you guys. And, you know, found, I think I found Tortoise through, through the CN Cake and then, you know, other Thrill Jockey stuff. And then I found some of your solo stuff that was all electronic. And I was like, what? What is right. this? I was really confused. And it was cool to when I got into electronic music. Be like, oh, so yeah, you so. found it before you were <laughs> into electronic stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then and then kind of got to rediscover it after I was already into like electronic music. Right. So yeah, that's that's my little uh the C and Cake fanboy story and I'll I'll leave it there. Nice. But <laughs> oh, I also saw you guys at the crocodile in Seattle around two thousand fourteen, maybe. Oh. Um yeah, so I wanted to just get to know you uh, right up top before we start talking about the album. And um, where did you grow up? Um, Chicago, pretty you much. You grew up in Chicago? Yeah, since I was like five. I was born in uh, London. My parents were on a Fulbright in Europe, you know, good situation. Okay. And so I was born in London, and then they uh, brought me over on the boat about a year later. Oh, really? And then we were in Florida until I was about four or five. My dad had a teaching job in uh, uh, Tampa, I guess. Tampa Bay. Okay. Yeah. And then, so your parents are academics? Yeah, my dad especially is... Um, he's an artist first, but he's mm -hmm. taught like at the Art Institute of Chicago for decades. He's no longer there, but now he's in Pittsburgh. Um, okay. 
And he was at Carnegie Mellon for quite a while, but he's since has since retired. Okay. Um, I'm always a little jealous of people who grew up with parents that were artists. My dad worked at a rock yard and my mom was like in retail. So <laughs> in this that tiny can town, be good so. too, man. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. problem. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I looked out. Good, you know, a lot of good people coming around all the time. Art, excellent. My dad was really into hi-fis at the time. And so music was okay. a big deal. I didn't play any, but, you know, big part of our family and so what was some of that early music you remember from your childhood that kind of grabbed you and like, like can kind of whisk you back to that time? Like I was just talking about that nostalgic thing. Like, is there anything from, from your childhood that your parents introduced you to that, that still like is really, really deeply seated in you? I mean, I'll say a big, you know, a big thing for most Chicagoans is uh, Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And one record in particular, America Today, um, which is a bit more, one of his more obscure ones, I guess, somewhat. Um, that takes me immediately right back. Yeah. yeah. Also, like Nina Simone is another big one when I was a kid. Um, there's a live record. Ah, what's I'm not, I think it's called It's Finished, I guess. That was, you know, we played it hundreds, thousands of times. Same with the... Mm-hmm. But I also went through, so pretty early, when I was pretty little, Beatles was a big deal. I went through a big Elvis phase. This is all like mm-hmm. pre-teen kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So that was good. I can't, what else? But, you know, I also had some lapses, you know, like Captain Tennille. I was like, oh, this muskrat <laughs> love jam is so hot. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I have some of that too. I, like, you know. Garth Brooks is probably the one from my childhood that's the Whoa, the yeah. guiltiest pleasure. Yeah, I know that one's that one's hard to say out loud, but I just I think I've accepted it. Um, but you know, Roy Orbison was like that's probably the the most for me that that thing that my parents listen to that still just like is oh, is nice. deeply seated yeah. in me. Yeah. Um, okay, so so I like to contrast the difference between like the music that you just described, the stuff that like kind of hits you before you're a musician, and then like what what hits you and and then strikes that you know like strikes that fire in your brain that says I want to participate, like I want to do that. Um, so I was pretty late bloomer when it comes to wanting to play music. I, I guess a pretty early. Um so my junior year in high school, we lived in England, actually. We did like a exchange thing. We mm-hmm. exchanged houses with a family from sort of rural northern England. And they had a piano in the place. And um, I got pretty into messing around with that quite a bit. And I sort of... Um, I took lessons which did not work out at all. <laughs> yeah. Because I would uh you know, I would be given the lessons and I would try to do it but I lost interest pretty quickly in the actual mm-hmm. lessons. But actually playing and exploring the piano I had no problem with and would work on it for hours. So the lessons hours. didn't kill they didn't kill like your desire to still mess around on it by yourself? No, I just sort of blew off the lessons, basically. And okay. she, she was like, yeah. you know what? It's fine. You're having... Actually, I don't know if... I imagine that's what she said. Like, go <laughs> have it with your own... 
you know, I was doing some like faux Keith Jarrett kind of jamming, you know, I was like, mm -hmm. but I was yeah. captivated. I'm like, this is, you know, I was just like, yeah. you touch it, it makes a sound. I mean, there was nothing to get bored with. I was so pretty, you know, that was one of my earliest uh, experiences of making music. At that point, I was not like, oh, I'm going to be a musician or mm -hmm. I don't think. Um, and then when I got back to Chicago, and maybe actually a bit before that as well, a really one of my dad's best friends is like a job was a jobbing musician on the blues circuit in Chicago, mm -hmm. whatever. And that whole concept and idea was made a huge impression on me. I'm really like, you know, oh, that's amazing. That's so mind blowing. You know, I love all that stuff and. And he worked with a local legend, uh, Eddie Taylor, and I became a real sort of blues um, connoisseur, sort of late high school, and became, mm -hmm. you know, interested in the history and the sort of origins of it and all that stuff. Um, and through that connection of knowing a real musician, you know, who took charge of the situation, played these gigs and did all yeah. this stuff. I don't, I wasn't able to actually go to the gigs because I was, uh, you know, 16 or whatever, but, um, yeah. So through that, I got interested in, of course, like anybody else, I started with some blues harmonica, you know, <laughs> everyone gets a harmonica right up front. <laughs> and I'm like, Holy, this is amazing. You know, you can't, it's in key, all, you can blow whatever you want and it resembles uh -huh. <laughs> music and whatever. So I got a taste of that and was pretty into it um, for quite a while. Um, and at some point, this friend of my dad's lent me one of his guitars and that's, I started messing around with that and stuff. Um, and so this, this is like late high school? This would have been like, late high school, yeah. And then, okay. um, it didn't really, I, I still wasn't like, oh, I should, you know, start a band and make music and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that did not happen until I went to Kansas City Art Institute for art school for two years um, and then came back and went to the Art Institute in Chicago. And at that point um, is when I started a band with fellow art students and that mm -hmm. band was called shrimp boat and we were quintessential art school band you know i mean <laughs> yeah. it, you you could look up art school band and there would be us <laughs> and, and so um that's where i started i still did not really know how to play anything and of course it didn't matter and that you know it was mm -hmm. great and we were into a, a few of the other members did know how to play kind of you know and so you can hang your ineptitude on their sort of prowess somewhat. yeah, and yeah. The, the, the combination um was super exciting at the time i mean it was amazing to, yeah to were you were start. you doing vocals in that band i was yeah and not, Were you singing at all before that, or? No, it was just sort of like someone should sing. I'm like, ah. 
<laughs> so you didn't like grow up like were, like did out. you grow up singing along with songs and and liking it and trying to work on that or was like not that really. kind of like not really that is so funny okay. yeah the singing wow. thing I don't I don't know I mean as I remembered I was sort of enlisted to do it I mean of course I got <laughs> into it uh-huh. once I started kind of and um, I think early on you know I. Like words and lyrics was never a strong priority for me. I'm like, I go at it as an instrumentalist with the vocals. Okay. Basically, it's like, um, and so early so on. So you start I, with like I, a melody, like start with a, like a, like a like almost like a, a gibberish, not gibberish, but like not non words. Yeah, like, totally. Blah, 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 yeah, like, and then write it. Mm-hmm. I still okay. do it that way. Okay. As well, I mean, I sort of. Um, I mean, I've become. I, of course, I'm interested in words, and uh, but in terms of writing lyrics, it's never come up with something, fulfill that concept, make it into a song. It's I, mm-hmm. I have always worked in a manner of like, you need to find it for it to be yeah. good. I was a vocalist in a band for yeah. a bit. Yeah, I did the same thing, and every time I would, I had a notebook that I would constantly write in. But if it wasn't writing to a melody that I'd already thought of in my head to a song that was already written, like nothing I wrote could ever, I could never make it work. And yeah, then, like, I think it's good to have those natural sort of parameters that you have to work within. It's like a night, it's, mm-hmm. like, it's like a, a gift, like, mm-hmm. you know, make these words fit musically within this context. And that, that's, then you're halfway there kind of. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't won't like, make I, it I, good, unfortunately, but that's yeah, that's yeah. the next part of the job. <laughs> yeah, like I think of like Bill Callahan or Leonard Cohen or something, and it's like it seems like they definitely write the words and then kind well, of yeah. meander onto Those a guys. singing part. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so that that's so interesting. Like you wouldn't. I love those stories when like this, a singer in a band, you know, you hear their background. It's like yeah, I wasn't really into singing. Um, so what were you studying in art school? Is that photography? Because I know you're really into photography as well. Uh, painting. Oh, painting. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was. Is not, that what you're? My dad. It's yeah. He um, he's a painter, sculptor. He's very multidisciplinary. Also did a lot of photo stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps some of my my roots of doing all kinds of stuff at once come from that a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But when I was in art school, uh, photo had not entered the picture. You know, painters usually are like photographers. You know, it's not a mm-hmm. real art form and stuff like that. <laughs> That's art, art students for you. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, okay, so, so, so Shrimp Boat gets started. And like in my head, when like, I imagine all of this, I'm imagining like the booming Chicago, you know, indie scene um, and... Like, was that kind of, like, you guys were kind of at the, like, the beginning and, and starters of that, like, right? Like, you were kind of within that. I mean, I know Chicago's always been a big music town, but um, I just uh, feel like that thrill jockey era, you know? Kind of, yeah. So Shrimp Boat was a bit before thrill jockey, actually. I mean, it was sort of um, mm-hmm. almost the same time, but not quite, just a little bit before. And since we came out of the art school... We participated in the scene, but we're not of it, kind of, you know. So 
I didn't really actually go to rock shows that much and all this stuff. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until a, maybe a year into it that Shrimpo started playing clubs. I mean, for a, quite a while we played, you know, like art school parties and lofts and stuff. Okay, like, okay. To start. So I always felt like we were outside of the traditional rock scene of Chicago, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. But at that time things were changing up and we were definitely there and some would say you know a catalyst for some of these cross-pollinating ideas and stuff and so we were mm-hmm. right in there early on when uh, you know we would play like you know f- free improv sets and then do like some bluegrass kind of stuff you know? <laughs> it was all like faux I mean it was just we just did whatever we wanted and uh-huh. We could care less about what rock fans were interested, or you know, that scene. And so it took us. It took a while for us to be accepted by other rock bands, kind of, and mm-hmm. we were fairly controversial early on. <laughs> but we um, we garnered attention from you know the local music critics, you know, like the Reader and um, like John Corbett from WHPK and who now does, you know, Corbett Dempsey, Gallon, and all this stuff. So we had champions early on and that helped us garner more attention. Okay. Was Archer in Shrimp Boat with you? No. Archer Pruitt? No. Okay. So how, how does the C and Cake form then from, from there? So Shrimp Boat dissolved and broke up and ended basically um and mm-hmm. i was offered so shrimp boat was on uh rough trade uk mm-hmm. um in europe jeff travis who's like a legendary a and r guy kind of mm-hmm. um he contacted me and said i'll give you some money to start another project if you want and i'm like okay that sounds good. I'll see, how, <laughs> I'll see how it goes. I mean, it wasn't like a lot of money, but it was enough to mm-hmm. make a record, basically. You know, like, mm-hmm. here's money, go in the studio and, you know, make it happen. Um, so having agreed to do that, I did not have a band yet in place, but Eric uh, Claridge, who was also in Shrimpo, and we were roommates... Um, came along with me and he was you know founding of the Sea and Cake and basically and I had actually met Archer while I was in Kansas City at the Art Institute there we weren't super tight then we were more like acquaintances kind of but he had Mm -hmm. since moved to Chicago with his band The Cocktails at the time and they The Cocktails played the cocktails were way into Shrimpo, and we did some gigs together, kind of, I guess, occasionally. We were, um, so it was sort mm-hmm. of through that connection that I got to know Archer better once he came okay. to Chicago. Um, okay. And somehow I'm like, I think, even though Archer was the drummer at the time in the cocktails, oh. I, I heard some single that the cocktails did. It was sort of like a jazzy not a cover but 
I don't remember what it was, but an archer is playing guitar on it, and I heard that, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to ask Archer okay. if he's interested. So that's how it started. And then Brad Wood, who ran Idful Studio, um, who was also in Shrimp Boat, played drums on some of the Sea and Cake stuff, the first record. Mm-hmm. But I was not happy with how it was going, and he didn't seem mm-hmm. totally in on it, kind of. And yeah. John McIntyre was interning there at the time, and he was like, I, I'll try it. <laughs> and we were like, oh, my God, this, this, this kid is a dynamo. You know, I mean, he was like... <laughs> We still think of him as a lot younger than us. He's not actually, he's maybe four yeah. years younger or six. But yeah. at the time, <laughs> when you're like, I don't even know how old I was. When you're like 24 and he's like 18, it's like, yeah. Oh, this, you know, he's just out of high school. This kid's amazing, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh-huh. So that's, and um, while we were making that first record, I think we recognized, you know, at, at that point it wasn't a band yet. You know, sort of mm-hmm. a studio project. I enlisted these people, um, but we knew pretty quick, like, oh, this is good. It's going to be great. Yeah. And so we, as soon as we did that record, we immediately started working on new material, playing gigs, and it snowballed quite quickly. Okay, so so, so John's like cutting his teeth as a producer at this time. Uh, John, yeah, he was, you know, a budding, uh, I don't know, worse. he was a budding producer, you know, I don't know if he was actually mm-hmm. recording people yet and stuff, but he was, that was his goal. Okay. And I, he, maybe he wasn't interning, maybe he was actually working there at the point, I don't recall, but I, I have a feeling he was interning, which is often the way you get started kind of but. yeah yeah that's that is so cool so that's this is before tortoise then too um i think so i i think i could be wrong i'm a bit hazy on the history i think <laughs> there was a tortoise single that maybe john wasn't on yet you know so i think okay. tortoise was happening or in in formation at that point um but it may have it was pretty close to around the same time but okay i honestly can't remember if okay uh, i mean we were doing a lot of work so it's possible that they had not started yet Um, okay but you know early on we did uh end up touring a lot together because John was in both bands. So like in 95 <laughs> was our first sort of worldwide touring kind of stuff. I mean, we toured everywhere. It was the Scene Cake Tortoise and Five Style in the U.S. for like eight weeks or something. You know, I mean, we, it was pretty hardcore and we went everywhere. It was, and it was amazing. That's crazy. And uh, <laughs> it was, great. you know, it was just catching on, so it was really exciting. And I mean, we were playing tiny clubs and stuff, but it was 
you know, people were showing up, so it was it. Yeah, it made sense to be out on tour, and it was. Yeah, it was great. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna ask if like any of your like any of the bands you were all were in ever toured together because it seems like between the four of you there's like six bands or something. I, I know. <laughs> um, well, the CNK and Tortoise toured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for. You know. I, I don't know how many, but we've done at least two or three Euro tours together. We've gone to Japan a couple times together. So early on, yeah, we did quite a, a fair amount together. Um, and we were kind of okay. on the same level, you know, I mean, with kind of... Yeah, like, it, I, it fe- I feel like... And, yeah. When I think of Thrill Jockey, I don't know if everybody's like this, but when I think of Thrill Jockey, I think of the Sea of Cake, the Sea and Cake and Tortoise. Like, I feel like you guys are pretty flagship bands for the label. So that, uh, yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people, probably. Um, yeah. Bettina, um, Bettina would probably be like, "Hell no," you know. Not <laughs> sure, <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, because I was curious, because I know, like, obviously, um, you know, John being a producer and with Tortoise, there's a lot of electronic stuff. I was wondering, like, if one or the other of you guys got each other into kind of the electronic side or if that kind of happened together or just how did you particularly so start John, getting into synth stuff? John. Yeah. Yeah. So John went to Oberlin and he actually studied electronic music and sort of, you know, was deep in electronic music academia. I, I'm not sure if mm-hmm. he actually, I think he actually did study it, but he also, of course, did percussion as well. But through John, um, he's quite well-versed. And he also had, you know, like a Putney and, you know, some hot synths early on. And mm-hmm. uh, the CNK Cake, on the first record, there's, some modular stuff happening and one of mm-hmm. my fondest memories I'm not sure what record but was John I think it it may have been on the first record one of those early ones was John working on a, a rhythm a noise rhythm you know with the Putney I guess and um, working it seemed like hours to get just the right filter articulation and sort of quality mm-hmm and rhythm and all this stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. But yeah. At, at that point, I was like, okay, do your thing, man. I, I had not, like, decided, oh, I should get some of this stuff. And whatever, but, mm-hmm. yeah. Wait, so is Modular some of the first synth stuff did you, that you got into? Or, or what was um, that progression? So it, it is, in a certain way, like I borrowed stuff from John, like I remember having his, uh, he had a synthy, you know, the suitcase one for a while, mm-hmm. I had that at my yeah. place for quite a while. I bought like an 808 and a Juno, which I still have. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess mid-90s. So right before the Fawn, which is our first kind of more overtly electronic record, um, I had like I was working a lot with one of those har- hardware MIDI sequencers, MMT8, um, mm-hmm. Alesis kind of deal. I also had 
an Akai sampler. So I had some stuff and I was messing around with it and trying to do things with it. Um, mm -hmm. There's um, on the Japanese, I, I should re-release this stuff somehow, but on the Japanese uh, edition of the Fawn, there's these all these sort of demo tracks I made, not of songs directly, but sort of electronic demo kind of sample. Like I had this borrowed this DJ sampler, so I was mm -hmm. like sampling uh, Blue Note records and stuff. You know what you would do at that time, kind of. But mm -hmm. my stuff was so primitive and rudimentary. I, I mean, I really had to kind of ignore I mean I just dove right in it didn't really matter I was you know totally off the cuff and by the seat of my pants and I was yeah got really into it and so that was like the origins of my electronic kind of stuff okay I guess anyway. so were you I'm always interested when, when people kind of get into electronic stuff later, which, like, that's the case for me. I was, you know, my, my 20s, I was pretty much spent with an acoustic guitar just singing in the kitchen by right. myself. Mm -hmm. It's like, um, and rock bands and stuff. So it seemed like the gear for me getting into making electronic music came after, like, hearing a few things and kind of going down a rabbit hole of stuff that I like to listen to. But I feel like sometimes it's the opposite. But it was like... Was there anything electronic happening, like music-wise, like any experimental stuff that was kind of pulling you in? Or it sounds like you were just like having a lot of fun experimenting. Um, I was, I, I feel like there was never like a threshold. I was sort of mm -hmm. like the electronic stuff was involved with the C and Cake from the beginning kind of, so I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh well, that's something you do, and I was—I've always been quite open-minded with, you know, if it seems to be mm -hmm. working, there's an, absolutely no problem. With it. Right. So, my sort of attitude towards those sounds and methods, or you know, I'm like, yes, bring it yeah. on, I love it. <laughs> um, in terms of like electronic music, I was not like a big. classically electronic records. I'm trying to think of like what would have gotten to me. I think like that Aphex Twin mm -hmm. uh, selected ambient works is pretty early on. And I'm like, yeah, I was way into that. And I still cite that as a huge influence. Um, another Green World, Eno, another huge influential record on yeah. the scene and cake and my subsequent electronic music. Mm -hmm. um, John was pretty up on you know the sort of vanguard of that kind of stuff and he opened my ears to a lot you know like Cluster mm -hmm. a lot of the early I think he was the first one that said you should listen to Kraftwerk I'm like really? <laughs> stuff like that and I'm like oh my god you're so right even John I have to I must give John lots of credit he even like he was like have you are you not into the Beach Boys I'm like I can't stand the Beach Boys it's a nightmare <laughs> and then he's like no man it's genius and I'm like 
holy fuck, he is so right. I, I was so wrong and off, you know. Anyways. So. God, what's that album? Is it called, like, Smile or Happy? It's called Smile or Happy. It's, like, there's smile, super weird. And there's, there's another one. It's, like, Smiley. There's two uh, smiles. Yeah. Type There's one that's like honk, honk, honking down the road or something like that. Do you know, do you know what I'm, it's such a, it's like really, really weird and kind of funny and synthy, like Brian, Brian Wilson at his absolute weirdest. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Um, but I don't want to go down a Beach Boys rabbit hole. No. <laughs> um, so... Now I know you're, you're, you're you have you have a solo album that is you know like singer songwriter and then you have solo albums that are electronic. Like, what was the first thing that you? I don't know which one came first, and and I guess what was the progression into like releasing your own electronic music from yeah. the C and Cake? Was it just so? Yeah, I had two. Yeah, singer guitar kind of records. Um, mm-hmm. And those were great. That band was amazing, and we toured everywhere as well. And it was, you know, especially that first record. I hear more about that record than any any other record I've done, basically. So it's sort of, I'd say, my that's my most popular mm-hmm. record in a weird way, or whatever. Which I'm happy to to hear about it. Um, and I think, so st- I'm not sure when, but I started accumulating more and more electronic gear and mm-hmm. it was getting more and more kind of intense. I was working harder on trying to do stuff with it. Um, I had spent quite a bit of money on uh, a wired 300 system, which I still have most of it. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like those blue... So that was my first big sort of modular purchase or whatever. So anyways, I started mm-hmm. accumulating all this gear in a sort of home studio. And I was had spent a lot of time trying to make... This stuff was useful for like seeing cake ideas and stuff or whatever. But I wanted to mm-hmm. see if I could make an electronic record. And I felt my angle at the time was kind of more pop oriented you know it was like sort of experimentally but very much with beats and on the grid and sort of you know it sounded like mm-hmm. instrumental C and cake music kind of whatever mm-hmm. and then my breakthrough was in a fit of frustration with not being so terribly satisfied with what I was getting out of my electronic studio I'm like it's just not working really and then when I decided to like cut it loose from any sort of pop song structure is when that changed everything and I you know I was it just blew my mind it just felt like an entirely new language that I don't think I I had to work to that point you know it's not like I showed up and had been listening to all these music concrete records and decided oh mm-hmm. I, you know it sound, doesn't sound that hard let me just mess with that kind of stuff yeah um, 
so it was through, you know, some pretty deep investigation of the gear and my situation and what I could do with it and how could I make interesting music out of it without sort of aping pop music that I was doing in another context that was a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so my breakthrough was, yeah, the old punch card record, mm-hmm. which sounded not like much else of what I had been doing. I think if you were, if you really felt like it and paid a lot of attention, you would get a sense that a lot of the sensibilities cross over, you know, from my other work to this thing. Of course, the basic, the fans of my other solo work and seeing Cake were like, what the hell happened? Holy fuck. Um, <laughs> it's quite a right-hander. I mean, because I, so I, I was one of those fans, you know. <laughs> so it was quite a controversial move at the time. And Bettina, <laughs> Bettina was like, this is who runs Thrill Jockey. Mm-hmm. She was like, man, I, I'm totally behind you. That's so cool. I don't know how it's going to go over, though. I mean, I don't yeah. <laughs> Um, and it did prove to be, uh, yeah, I, it messed with a lot of people or whatever, but I'm like, it's just a record, you know? Yeah. Go listen to, you know, I'll probably do a and cake record next week or something. Yeah. You know, I'd be singing <laughs> all over it or whatever. I'm just wondering, you know, that could have brought new people into the and cake though, you know, like people well, who totally. maybe now, to that. I, I've run into a lot of people that, are familiar with my electronic stuff and they're like, what's the sea and cake? Never heard uh-huh. of it. You know, like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, don't bother. You know, it's top 40 pop. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not true. Then, but, um, I, so I at, con- at this point, I, it's not, it's not nearly as controversial. I mean, some people be right. like, I, I wish you would just be singing or something. I'm like, I, I know, but I try to explain people. Like, if I sang over these electronic records, that's what you would hear. You would hear the singing. It would not. So I right. just, just want to explore these other things. Mm-hmm. And I'm way into it. And I just don't want to. And I love singing, of course, and I think it's a good thing to do. But... Mm-hmm. I, I know for sure if I sang like on this new record that's what you would hear it you wouldn't be able to get past it Definitely. and that's the power yeah. of singing it's like it's the most intense instrument there is I mean it blows everything else out of the water and I figured that out pretty early on with the sea and cake as well it's like because we get the tracks together it's a, like Usually the singing comes after the music is done, and so, um, mm-hmm. and I figured out early on, like, I can push it in any sort of direction, and it's sort of, I have an unfair, it's not exactly an advantage, it could be a disadvantage in that it's going to sort of dictate what it is, ultimately, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I've, never, like wa- I've never wanted to 
So that's why I don't sing on the electronic mm -hmm. records, basically. Like, I don't sit around singing for fun, whereas I do sit around with my mountain of modular gear for fun. However, to get it beyond that is equally as challenging as, like, you know, writing a song or whatever. Easily, yeah, really hard. And I think a big part of it is that I think it would be much easier if I was working with somebody else, but um, as a solo pursuit, it's really hard to get it over the threshold to the next level where it's like, okay, this is better than me just, you know, messing around in my, you know, it's yeah. sort of to get it to the next point. I think it's so hard because um, there's so much second guessing when you're working on your own. And, and also mm -hmm. it's hard to know why one thing is better than something else. I mean, you sort of, it's all intuitive and stuff like that, but I find that you have to check your gut responses to all this stuff all the time. And there's no way to do that in the moment is sort of like it has it's so it takes a while mm -hmm. for the project to sort of develop into something that's more than the sum of its parts or whatever i think yeah i that, I, I think that makes a lot of sense i think that's something that i struggle with a lot you know um with modular music it's it, it is hard uh, yeah. there's a there's a lot of it out there um and it's I feel like there's a lot of really good modular music out there, and I think there's a lot of modular music out there that is cool, but it sounds like they made they're like someone made a patch and just kind of recorded this one pass patch and that can be really really fun um and and good but i'm like I'm struggling with this I think I've just have to multi track things and build it piece by piece i'm I've got a bunch of modules, but I have a hard time using them all at the same time to make one right. big fully fleshed out piece, but I'm really good at making little things that I can stitch together, you know? And I think that for me is kind of, I'm, I'm discovering r lately is my path to try to get to kind of what you're talking about. That, that's, I do that as well. I mean, yeah. I have another, so I do that for the records. I have another modular pursuit, which my, I never planned on doing it live, but um, mm -hmm. by accident, sort of, you know, someone said, would you do this? And I'm like, Okay, I don't know how, but I guess I'll try. And that was around the old, you know, so that was like almost 10 years ago or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't I didn't know how to pull it off. I knew that I could not play the record. And right. I still can't play the record or whatever. So what I do live has evolved and has become a different kind of music, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really interested in making a record of that as well, which mm -hmm. John and I have plans, because we have actually a project we've toured a couple of times where it's me on modular and John on modular and electronic drums. And, oh my gosh. And stuff. And we've done two short Euro tours. And uh -huh. the first one, I was invited to do a uh, 
to play a festival in Berlin, and the the festival was Synth and Drum Fest, and they called me. I'm like, <laughs> "Are you interested in doing this?" And I'm like, "Hold on, I am, but I need to call some drummers or whatever." And John's like, "Yes, uh-huh. let's do it. It'll be fun." <clears throat> and we just um, kind of wung it on the spot, but we're like, "Holy uh-huh. fuck, this is amazing." Be great. Wait, so we, how do I not... Do you guys have records or any releases on that project? There are a few things you can look for. Um, uh-huh. There's like an, a little EP. I don't know what it's called, but it's on iTunes. And then uh-huh. we just mixed something for another, like... Because we were supposed to play this festival in Portugal that got canceled, obviously. And they're like, mm-hmm. can you give us a track to do like a, we're going to do a record fundraiser. And like, yes, okay. And so we did that. And so, because John. Is it just your guys' names or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you search. Um, and so we've recorded a lot of, all of our live shows basically. And, um, and mixing Hama, I was in Portland, which is where John is now. Mm-hmm. I mixed it in his studio, you know, to make sure it sounded right and whatever. Mm-hmm. And on that trip, so that was last November, we recorded a lot of stuff as well as a duo. We oh, played man. a show in Portland. And uh, are you in Portland? I no, it's I'm in Seattle. Seattle. Um, yeah. So those shows are great really good man i'm so excited to hear that stuff yeah that sounds and awesome. it's a lot different than i mean it's a lot different and not a lot different than like comma comma is more yeah like composed and whatever whereas the live mm-hmm. stuff is definitely we start one place that ends up somewhere else totally but it's yeah it's in time it's very melodic and pattern based and kind of you know it's sort of like uh mm-hmm. um, minimalism okay. classical music kind of stuff or whatever. not quite okay well right. not that's but with beats <laughs> i don't, don't listen right. to me. you have to check it out <laughs> that's what i'm actually i just uh i have one of my friends he's kind of like one of our bunker people for are the uh what do you like people are calling it pods i guess like you choose a few people that you hang out with for the um you know because of the pandemic and stuff and he's a great pianist and okay, we're yeah. kind of working on this like he's he's very into list you know like yes. so like he oh, so he like plays kind of like really busy kinda. yeah and so i brought my my setup over there this weekend and we tracked for like 12 hours on saturday and then on sunday spent about eight hours mixing stuff so yeah we're kind of working on that kind of like classical ambient awesome. thing it's been a lot of fun awesome. um so with comma, I feel like comma is like a, like a pretty good. Um, I feel like it really rides the line in between like old punch card stuff and the more electronicy, dreamscapey type stuff of the scene cake. Like I feel like yeah, you do so a really good job it, of melding that. Yeah, it's definitely not. It's a yeah, it's a, a hybrid of sorts. I mean, with my modular, I've always like. Uh, like I mentioned, like pre-punch card, you know, I try to get beats going kind of or whatever. And so since punch card, I've always been like no beats. And even for comma, 
I did not plan on it, but I was sort mm -hmm. of like, I'm, I need something. It needs to be different again. And so basically that's what happened. It's like, all right, I'm just going to okay. give in. It's going to be more like pop electronic music a bit, you know, not totally, of course, but, um, mm -hmm. so I felt like I relented to the, some of my, my more song oriented instincts and sort of like, yeah, okay, let it, it's totally cool. It's just a record. And, you know, I feel like you were kind of like, I don't know. I feel like you did a really, really tasteful job of going into like a songwriter kind of lane, but not, you're not fully in the, you know, like it's, I feel like it's, it's still interesting. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's really hard to, to make interesting um, electronic music that has like pop and drum, you know, rhythmic elements to it. Right. Not, I guess not interesting, but like keep it in the realm of like, um, I don't know. I guess what I like about electronic music, I, I, I think I butchered this whole this whole explanation. But um, yeah, it's not, I think it's just really hard to do, and I think you did it very tastefully. Um, I also love that um, September Remember, right? Like three quarters of the way through the song, you think it's over, and it like that that whole like transition, that that kind of mood shift you do there. I just absolutely love that. Oh, that thank so you. Cool. Yeah. So, um, when you're so you, you already said like you do, you do a lot of multi-tracking type stuff when you're on this, on comma. I, I do. It doesn't not start that way though. I sort of, um, mm -hmm. I mean, actually I knew for this record that I needed to get a, a multi-track situation. I used to just make, you know, do stereo recordings of everything at once. I'm like, ah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to not do that because I know it's going to help me ultimately to separate it out or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, in preparation for making the record, I just go at it like I would normally. I'm just like trying to find stuff. I mean, I'm just, I record a ton of stuff. Um, and the better things rise to the top and I'll go back to them and see mm -hmm. if I can make something out of it or not. I mean, there's a few tracks. Um, I don't have the... Hang on a second. <laughs> I had to go get the record because I don't remember the titles. <laughs> Because the titles are totally arbitrary. I like all uh -huh. of them, but I'm like, I, I don't know which one goes to which. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so a song like, uh, well, Kama mm -hmm. is pretty much a raw stereo recording. I mean, I added a few things afterwards. May, I think the drum beat later or whatever. But, mm. So that's like, if you listen to that, I'm working in that realm, all, you know, sort of a lot of stuff that I pull out sounds like that. That's one of the least mm -hmm. adulterated one after the fact. Okay. And then another weird track, and this is the benefit of uh, the multi-track situation 
is uh, approaching, which is pretty live, a lot of it, even though it sounds fairly composed, but I pretty much winging it on a sequence and you know, mm -hmm. changing keys and moving stuff around and then caught it up a bit later. But, um, but a lot of the better moments are sort of improvised on the spot. And so there's a lot of yeah. that as well. I just like, you know, those things stand out. I'm like, oh, that's good. I'm going to, I should do something with that. Or whatever. So, mm -hmm. but like that, rec that recording, I didn't add a lot to it. I just happened to have multi-track the live recording. And I think oh, there okay. were two versions of it. And one had a better part than the other. And, you know, so, so making, making them sort of dissolve into each other can be challenging, but mm -hmm. it's the same patch and just like different key kind of, you know. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I think leaving it open to imp like improv and then also like open to the idea of multi-tracking, like because like improv, so much fun stuff can happen. Happy accidents, like modulars, like such a breeding well, ground for the that, multi. But. I'm improv improvising, but I'm just recording it on separate tracks mm -hmm. so that you can like, right. oh, why did it that have to be so loud or you know stuff like that. right, right. That's Definitely. it. It just gives you more mm -hmm. options after the fact. It's not. Um, I mean, a lot of times I'm like, when I'm messing with stuff, it could happen right there and it can be done. It could be, you know. Yeah. And I go at it that way. I'm never like in preparation for something else to happen. So all of my work is like in the moment, you're listening. What could be better? Is it happening? Or, you know, I mean, there's a mm -hmm. natural ebb and flow of, boredom and excitement it's all it's all yeah. in there yeah and a lot of the stuff um come most of it i'd say 80 percent of it comes out of those sessions there's a few more things like i got my juno fixed which was in disrepair for years i'm like oh this is new you know a keyboard of not mm -hmm. mess so that changed a few things you know like Playing okay, chords. Okay, yeah, because I was going to so ask that, about that, that. And another big uh, important synthesizer for this record is the SH-101, which mm -hmm. you can sequence it. You know, it has CV and gate in and all this stuff. Um, so I, it's on almost every track. I'm like, it just sounds so good. It can do no wrong. And I was able to mm -hmm. integrate it with the modular stuff with no problem because of the CVNs and stuff. But yeah, I um, getting the Juno fixed opened me up to like sequencing chord things and stuff again. Um, I also have a Poly Evolver, which I've not used in a long time, and I bust that out again. And I'm like, this thing sounds really good. For a long time, I was like, ah, it sounds like shit, I hate it. But now I'm like, <laughs> no, it's... It sounds good. It's really That's good. That's a like purplish blue one, right? Yeah. It's Is like that, a weird yeah. it's um it has like wavetables in it. It's all okay. analog, but it has like 
wavetables in it. It's it's re a really good synthesizer, actually. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. I don't think they. I don't think Dave Smith makes anything bad. He. I mean, I feel like his record probably pretty good. Um, what was I gonna? I had one more question to ask about comma. Um, oh yeah. Well, I was gonna just ask like, so are you? You sounds like you're using kind of like whatever electronic gear you have at your disposal like so do you, are you like working with Eurorack or any 5U stuff or like what 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 would you say your main like palette is so yeah for comma i'd say it's more spread out than the other records the other like mm -hmm. old punch card was pretty much only modular mm -hmm. the republic i don't know if you know that one is a bit more uh, that's pretty much only modular as well. I actually did a soundtrack okay. that nobody's heard, but is also an important in-between record. I, I need to get it out again somehow. Called, uh, oh, fuck. Now I just said The Republic, and that's... <laughs> pa oh, wait. Uh, Pavilion. Okay. Somehow those two titles are... Quite, um, yeah. But yeah, for a comma, I'm like, uh, I've decided I'm going to use whatever. There's quite a bit of digitone on it, actually. Okay. Which I like mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, yeah, I've gone through a, a FM synth phase lately. Mm -hmm. Like not too long ago, I got an Akemi's uh, Castle. There's none on mm -hmm. comma or whatever, but. Um, but yeah, for comma, I'm like SH-101, Juno, Polyvolver, and then lots of Eurorack. Okay. <laughs> um, and just one quick gear question. I usually don't like to get into the weeds on gear too much, but, um, I'm just curious, like, do you, uh, are there like any like a handful of modules that are just like your go-to Eurorack modules that you just really like? Um, I'm looking back at my, my rack <laughs> to see what it calls it. Well, I'm really into, it's taken a long time to figure it, figure it out, but I have an ER 101 and 102. Uh-huh. Yeah. The sequence. So I'm big into sequencers. I love Metropolis as well or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. they're strangely related and also polar opposites. And it's okay. Like. The Metropolis is so immediate, but sort of shallow, like the depth of it or whatever. Whereas the mm -hmm. ER-101 is impossibly deep, but yeah. you can't fly with it exactly. I mean, you can. Mm -hmm. It's taken like a year where I'm getting more versed on what it can actually do. And it's an amazing sequencer, mm -hmm. totally. And it looks beautiful. Yeah, I, I think the sequencer is, you. I think you have to find a sequencer that you can form a nice relationship with. Yeah. Um, I think it's very. I mean, I know some people don't don't even use sequencers, but yeah, I think, I'm into uh, sequ big yeah. time. It's, yeah. I I like them, and it's you know, yeah. So I'd say that's that's my favorite. Um, Right on. Well, let's see. We're okay. We're at an hour, but I wanted to talk. If you, if I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I wanted to ask you about your photography for, uh, uh, yeah. for a minute too. 
Okay. Um, like, do you just go out and walk for hours and hours around all the different neighborhoods in Chicago? Because I feel like you have a, an unlimited amount of just really interesting photographs from all these different neighborhoods. And, I'm just, and I just get the sense that you're constantly walking around or something. Um, so I go through periods of that or whatever. Uh -huh. I have a vast archive, basically. So a lot of the stuff is not, you know, from like a couple of days ago. Some of it can be pretty uh -huh. old. You know, I'm like digging through. Like I find things that I haven't seen or I am able to see it in a different way. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I'll just post it. But I also go mm -hmm. through periods where I'll take, yeah, I go out daily. I mainly concentrate in my neighborhood, which happens to be quite uh, visually enticing and stimulating. And uh, yeah. I, I don't feel like I need to be anywhere that special, actually. I mean, it's sort of, I can be anywhere and become engaged with looking at mm -hmm. anything. It's easier when, it, when things look cool and, you know, it's happening. But a lot yeah. of it can be like, if the light is right one day, you know, the Walmart parking lot can be right. a, a gold mine. You know? So it's sort of, if you are open-minded about it, I think, uh, yeah, I love it. I ha I've actually not been doing as much lately. I go through some phases, kind of. Um, mm -hmm. So I'd say the past month or two, I've not taken a ton of photos, but... Um, I mean, the yeah. COVID thing kind of kept me wary of going about too much, whatever. But um. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, like, I feel like you I feel like you have an eye that you can take, like, or, or like ordinary, an ordinary setting, and like frame it in a way that makes it really compelling. I feel like that's that I really like. I I love I love just following you on on Instagram and seeing like all like. You, I don't know. You just have a really nice eye for, for framing. Well, things. thank you. That's um, high praise. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. what I like about photography. It's sort of, um, and that also makes it really hard to pull it yeah. off or to make mm -hmm. distinctive photographs. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's easy to take a picture, but that is like yeah. one percent of the actual activity. Right, pushing the button doesn't do anything actually, but you have all these <laughs> right. photos, so I I think a lot of people miss the point. Like, it's easy to take a photo, but to actually make one is really hard. So yeah, um, definitely. And I've been just, I've been interested in it for a long time, and I'm, I don't feel like I'm. A photographer, exactly. I mean, I feel like I'm an an artist in general. I mean, it comes from mm -hmm. painting and just uh, paying attention to what things look like. I don't paint uh, objects or anything. You know, I make abstract paintings. So, but mm -hmm. sort of to equate those ideas and that sensibility to how you look at things that sort of where those meld I find you know keeps, yeah. keeps me limbered up with just thinking about what things look like and what, what, yeah. what makes yeah. a good 
photo or, I mean, a lot of times I like to say, you know, it's the fastest way to make a painting kind of, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Now is the cover for runner, is that one of your photos? Runner, is that? The, uh, um, that's actually like a, like a Archer's. swing set. Okay. We were together. Th we both have the same uh -huh. photo on our phone. That's from. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> we were in Argentina. Or okay. Buenos Aires, actually. Yeah. Okay. And we were, you know, tooling around, and and his photo worked better. But we had the same okay. photo. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Because I, I originally, you know, got it digitally and, you know, listened to it for a couple of years until I bought it on vinyl. I saw it at a record store. And I think it was like the third time I took it out to put it on at my house. I looked and I was like, oh, that's a photograph. I, I, thought oh, right. was like yeah. a, I thought it was a painting the whole time or something. Well, it is a painting. Um, a photo of right, a painting. Right, right. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, dude. I appreciate your uh, you taking the time. This was a this was really fun to to get to know you here. Well, um, is there anything that you want to uh, to say or promote before we sign off here? Um, no. I mean, I guess check out my record. Comes out yeah soon, soonish. It's been pushed back a bit, but it has an actual Sep release date now. September eleventh, correct? Right. Um, okay. You can look at my photos on uh, Instagram. I'm doing mm -hmm. that all the time. So. Right on. Well, th dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate. Thank you. you uh, it was fun giving me your time. All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, Sam, for coming on. Don't forget to check out his new album, Comma. It's out now on Thrill Jockey Records. Um, what else? Check out Patchworks.com. P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com for all your synthesizer needs. Um, don't forget to give Needham Woodworks a peep on the old Instagrams or uh, or online at their own website. The finest Eurorack cases in the land. Check out the After Later audio, uh, the tilt, the blend, and the steps. All are going on vacation with me uh, to Wyoming when I bring my little uh, my travel synth with me. And speaking of travel synth, um, that's what you hear going on right now under my voice is, uh, it's a, it's a patch that I made and I brought my synth down to, uh, down to the Puget Sound with the Vashon Island Ferry in the background. And I, uh, I shot a video of me performing this patch and, uh, the Heron gods blessed me. Got to see some pretty cool birds, got some cool shots of them. Um, and the full video is available on Patreon. Um, there's a snippet of it on Instagram. So please check that out. Uh, this is my buddy Steven Jett on piano, and I'm uh, sampling through the uh, the stereo-triggered sampler and Morphogene all going into the Dirty Murals and the Cutting Room Floor from Recovery Effects. Uh, I think that's about all I've got to say about this patch. Don't forget to get your synth booth tickets. Um, and yeah, and until next week. <laughs>